What's up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at y'all with our third episode of our Pac-12 and 31 Days theme. We're joined by the Director of Audio Broadcasting at Colorado University and the voice of the Colorado Buffs, Mark Johnson, is joining us today. And I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show. You bet. You know, it's never too early to start talking college football. You know, Zach, when you think about it, especially out here in the western part of the country, the Pac-12, when we didn't get our full dose of football in 2020. So I can tell you this, Buff Nation right now, man, is just chopping at the bit. Can't wait for this season to get underway. And, you know, after what happened, I know we'll talk about the short 2020 season, but after the way it went year one for Carl Durrell, I think that that kind of, uh, you know, wet their whistle a little bit. I mean, they want more of what Carl Durrell did in year number one, so we're looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get to the on the field stuff, you mentioned it. August 11th, Larry Scott made the decision to postpone the season. Well, that decision was praised by some, condemned by others, especially when the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 got everything rolling. What was your initial reaction to the decision? And did Colorado have any other plans if the decision was not reversed by Larry Scott? Well, my reaction initially was... I know. I didn't understand it. You know, I, I thought that the other leagues in the country, you mentioned the ACC and the SEC and, and the Big Ten at that point in time, they were taking a wait-and-see kind of approach. And I understand. Now, there was a lot of uncertainty. We all understood that. But when they made that definitive decision there on August 11th, I thought, well, well why now? Why do we have to determine that at this point? How about waiting a month? Get us into the middle of September and we'll have a little bit different view because we all remember back at that point in time, Zach, how everything was changing so quickly and we didn't know what we didn't know. And then a month later, what we thought we knew wasn't accurate. And, and so I, I didn't quite see the wisdom in that. And then when the other leagues got going and, and really had committed to playing football in 2020, I thought the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12 uh, rather uh, looked, looked kind of kind of silly at that point in time, you know, uh, and, and were kind of behind the curve. And I thought, boy – if these two leagues, especially the Pac-12, don't play at that time, when once things got rolling in 2020, it's really going to set this league back. And you cannot afford to do that. So I, I figured they'd probably jump back into the pool at some point, which they ultimately did. But at the time, I just, it didn't make any sense why the decision had to be made at that point in time. And so I'm glad they finally came around. Was it a full season? No. Uh, a shortened season. The Buffs ended up playing five games in the regular season, six total with the bowl game. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it was something. It allowed them to at least be on a summit level playing field with the rest of those leagues around, you know, the Power Five. And, and so it ultimately was a good decision to come back in. But the initial decision certainly was not. Right. And I think you saw jumping the gun really hurt the Pac-12 and flexibility of scheduling. The SEC, even though they had games canceled, they were able to reschedule them. We saw the Alabama-LSU game get pushed back. The Pac-12, I believe there were like four or five games week one that got canceled and couldn't even be played, and it really hurt a lot of teams' development. But on the field, even though it was tough for Pac-12 teams, the Buffs, four and two, they, they you know, a tough ball loss to Texas at the end, but they started the season 4-0 and looked on fire early. Did this season for you meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? Well, I think it because we didn't know what we didn't know, right? I mean, when Carl Durrell got the job, when Mel Tucker left, and by the way, here in the Boulder, Denver area, he's referred to as Midnight Mel because he quietly under the cover of darkness took off from Michigan State and, and did so late. You know, normally, yeah, you well know this, coaching changes happen, 
you know, in December and January. That, that's when they normally happen. This one happened in February. So Carl gets here late, gets the job. Uh, what, 14, 15 days after he took the job, that's when everything starts shutting down. So we had no spring ball. So I'm not even sure what my expectations were once they started playing. It was such a surreal situation. Well, then to start off 4-0, to have Sam Neuer, who had been a quarterback, uh, had been a safety, then was in a transfer portal, pull his name out of the portal, come back and do what he did early and put up phenomenal numbers. Now, late in the season, we all know this now. At the time, it was kept pretty quiet. He had a shoulder injury, and so wasn't able to continue to play at the high level. But to do what he did surpassed everyone's expectations. What Jarek Broussard did was unbelievable to put up the numbers he did over the course of the regular season, become a Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He was the guy that when he was recruited out of the uh, you know Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, I remember asking about him and someone said, boy, he's got a chance. But he had the injury issues and you never know how that's going to work. So for him to come out and do what he did exceeded everyone's expectations. So, yeah, there was a lot that exceeded uh, in a season when we weren't sure what to expect, we still had our expectations exceeded, I think. And and that's why I said earlier, I think everyone's really excited about now 2021. Let's see what Carl Durrell can do with a you know a running start in a football season. Right. And, I mean, you mentioned one of my favorite players, Jerry Broussard at running back. Absolutely blew me away. I, I was like, I, I know, I feel like I speak for a lot of people in the country. I didn't know who this kid was. And then, like, week two or three playing, I was like, okay, this kid out in Colorado is balling right now. I mean, over a thousand rushing yards in only six games. You mentioned the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Was it something like did people see this in practice as this ascension is something that was due to happen? And how was he able to put on this breakout performance with no spring practices and no summer workouts? Well, I, I think what we saw in practice, and, and and I'll recall when they finally got practices underway. You know, under, under all the COVID conditions and restrictions. Uh, the little bit that I could be there on, on occasions when I was allowed to be and all masked up and all the different things and the testing that we all had to go through, you could see something unique about the guy physically. But but did we know that was going to translate into what he did in 2020? Absolutely not. You know, your, your viewers, listeners may not know this. Uh, the guy that does games with me is Gary Bardet, the former Boston Northwestern coach who you know did one of the great coaching jobs in the history of college football with Northwestern back in the 90s. And so Gary's got a phenomenal eye, obviously. Guys in that profession, they, they see it differently than the rest of us because they've spent their whole life studying it. And as, as he watched Broussard to the first few games, he said, boy, when you watch him now, he said, I'm not making the comparison saying he's him, but when you watch him, there's some Barry Sanders in him in terms of his, his balance, his ability to cut, uh, the versatility with which he runs, the strength with which he runs, despite the fact he's not the biggest guy in the world. So there's something unique about him. But again, when you're coming off ACL injuries, I mean, we've all seen too many of those stories, those sad stories over the course of our career where a guy blows an ACL, he's never quite the same afterward. Well, Broussard comes out, does what he did, and now it's kind of fun during spring, although he dealt with a couple of minor issues through spring. He says, you know, I'm not going to play with the brace now going on into 2021. I'll be faster than I was last year. Well, that's going to be saying something because he was – a different times. Maybe he didn't have the breakaway speed, but the quickness and the cutting ability was there. And so, yeah, he, he's a special player that, you know, maybe he knew was going to happen. The rest of us uh, would be lying if we said it was, if we thought it was going to happen. Right. I mean, Broussard is going to be a key, key part of this offense, but 
the quarterback position is there's there seems to be a battle according to the media i mean i know sam noyer is the incumbent starter but he missed spring practice due to a shoulder injury this opened the door for brendan lewis and jt shrout and a lot of people think this battle is going to go on into the fall for you though who is the favorite around campus to be QB1? And, and from what you saw, did anyone impress you in spring ball? Well, who's the favorite? I'll just say Sam Neuer, simply because, as you pointed out, he's the incumbent. Okay, so, you know, what do we always say in sports? It's his job to lose. So so let's just start with, with that premise right there. Now, what I saw in spring, Sam was around, obviously, taking mental reps, uh, as he should be, and studying film and all those kind of things. What you saw, though, with the other two, first off, J.T. Shroud. Uh, what you saw is a guy that looks the part. I mean, to start games in the SEC as he did at Tennessee, uh, he comes in and looks like one of those guys. There, there's an explosiveness with which the, the ball comes out of his hand. Uh, there, even though he was new to the system, when you know, once we watched the spring game, there's a a, a very there, there's no hesitation. Let's put it that way in what he does. You can see he's a guy that's doing the mental gymnastics. He's got the physical tools. Does he run like some other, like like Sam and what Brendan Lewis do? No, but he runs well enough, I think, to be a guy that can create some problems uh, with his feet a little bit. So you see a guy that looks like he's supposed to look at the quarterback position. He's got three years left to play here at the University of Colorado. Now for Brendan Lewis, you know, we heard so much about him coming out of high school and, and coming into this program. And then last year, of course, he didn't get a chance to play until the bowl game, really. Uh, because of the way Sam was playing. Once he got out there, you saw the athleticism. He made some great plays. He appeared to have kind of that, you know, that, that playmaking ability that you're hoping to see. And then in spring, what you saw was a guy that carried himself with a little bit of confidence, like, okay, I've been here. I've done it now. I kind of feel like I belong at this level. And so I thought he took some great steps. You know, the great coach Bill McCartney always used to say, you know, the mental is the physical is four is the one, all right? So we saw a guy that started to believe he could play at this level. And so I think it's going to be a fascinating position to watch. And as you pointed out, it's going to go deep in the camp. It's going to go all summer long. When those guys get back here around June 1st, it's going to go through the conditioning. They're going to watch those guys get the reports from the strength staff on what they're doing. Uh, once they get into camp, that is going to be the number one thing we're all going to be watching because I think you've got three guys that are certainly capable to have proven it already at, the, at this level. The other guy certainly looks the part and has shown flashes in the bit that he's played. And so that's going to be an interesting position to watch, I think, for the Colorado Buffaloes. Right. And, I mean, I know that's the main storyline right now on campus, but the Colorado spring game wrapped up April 27th. And I know it, I know everyone's excited for spring games. You try to make takeaways. You look at position battles. You look at incoming uh, freshmen. What were some of the bigger storylines you were paying attention to, and what were your biggest takeaways from the spring game this year? Well, and, and you know, it, we both refer to the spring game. Carl Durrell referred to it as the spring showcase. All right, because they didn't have the numbers to do a real game, and so we didn't. See, we saw live action. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't a game-type situation. Everything was very situational uh, during that. What we saw, when we, were, when we did our broadcast, we were watching the quarterback thing, obviously. Uh, we were watching at running back because, you know, here we're talking about Jerry Broussard, who we should be. But you've got um, Fontenot, who's coming back, who was injured last year, who rushed for over 800 yards the year before. He's an old Pac-12 level guy. You've got Oshot Clayton coming in, who is a now will be a second-year player, a freshman, but a second-year player who comes in for Louisiana, was a highly regarded running back, looks like an NFL running back. So you've got three guys deep there that look like they all could be feature kind of guys. 
You've got a, a extremely talented group of wide receivers. Yeah, LaVisca Chenault's in the NFL now and, and going to be taking uh, receiving passes from the number one pick in the draft. But his little brother's still here. Brandon Rice is still here. Dimitri Stanley's still here. Daniel Arias is I mean, you go down the list. There's probably, when you think about it, there's probably nine or ten legitimate wide receiver candidates uh, on this offense. They've got 13 tight ends on the team right now. It's unbelievable. I mean, Carl tight ends wherever you can find them so that's going to be a big part including Brady Russell who's coming back from from an injury who's been a, a guy that's proven at this level and we talk about the quarterback so when you think about it on that side of the ball you've got all the pieces skill wise to really be a potent offense now the question will come down to can that offensive line open some holes and protect the quarterback whoever that's going to be and so those were the things that that really struck me you, you saw some things from the offensive front that you felt good about. I thought they ran the ball relatively well. Uh, they were doing so, by the way, without having a, a two or three guys that were out with injury along that offensive front. Recently, there were some, some transfer news in terms of some highly regarded guys. One coming in from, from the Big Ten, who's coming in, now going to be a couple of Buffalo to add to that offensive front. So those were the things that I noticed on the offensive side. The defensive side, depth of defensive line, can't wait to get Nate Landman back uh, at linebacker. You know, he missed with after uh, uh, rupturing his Achilles tendon. They look like they've got some guys that they can play at linebacker, and the questions will be on the back end. Christian Gonzalez looks like a legitimate corner. Uh, the safety, there's been some, some uh, transfer news about safety for the Buffaloes, so they're adding there. And so, really, it, it kind of continued this optimistic feel about, yeah, there were questions, but, boy, it looks like, they filled some of those holes. They've got, they found some answers at some of the, the question marks for the Buffalo. So uh, you came away feeling pretty good about it, but you know, there, there's still a lot of questions to be answered before they kick it off in 2021. Right. And a lot of that good feeling, that positive momentum has to do with the hire of Carl Durrell, who has done an outstanding job right now as the head coach of the Bulls. You know, his first season, all these outside factors he had to go through with COVID, you know, practicing, not even thinking he might be able to coach his first season. How was Darrell able to persevere through all these setbacks, and what made him the guy for that open head coaching spot? Well, what what made him able to navigate it successfully as he did is, I'm going to say maturity, all right? Carl Durrell, as you well know, as a younger man, had been a head coach at, at UCLA and had some nice success there. One of the issues when he was the Bruins is the fact that USC at that time was probably the best program in America. It was just across town, so there was a comparison there. But he did a nice job uh, at UCLA as a head coach. So he learned from that. Then he got into the NFL for many years and was in, in key positions. Most recently, of course, before coming to Colorado, was the associate head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And so I think he learned a lot. And, and so the second time around as a head coach for him, like, like all of us, you don't know what you don't know the first time, but the second time, now you've learned some lessons. And one thing, Zach, I always say about Carl, you know, if, if you look at an emotional scale from one to 10, he moves between about a four to six, steady as they can be. I mean, he's, he's right here. So in a uncertain time, a new head coach, a roster that doesn't know him, putting a staff together, can't have spring ball, can't have off-season workouts, it, you know, I, I, you know, a younger guy may really struggle in that, but I think Carl understood there's got to be a steadiness about the way I approach this. And the players that I talked to once that season did get underway all appreciated the fact that that guy always seemed to have the answer. And I've always said that about college coaches, whether it's football, basketball, I, I don't care what the sport is. You've got a group of 18 to 22-year-old men, young men 
that, you know, listen, they're, they're physically gifted, but they're, they're still young men at times and, and don't know what they don't know. And I've always said about college coaches, they might they may not have to like you, but they've got to respect you, and they've got to believe that you're you're the guy that's got the answer. And, and I think Carl's got all those qualities. They respect the heck out of him. They believe he's got the answers. And so just the steadiness of the way he approaches things and the business-like demeanor he has when it comes to coaching football and the educational uh, way he he approaches football, I, I think it's been huge for this program. And I, I think it's, it's enormous moving forward for this team. And, and why was he the guy? You know, when they were looking for, after the one-year Mel Tucker experiment, and they were looking for somebody, uh, I'll never forget, Rick George is telling me the story. He and uh, Assistant Athletic Director Lance Carl were talking, and just out of the blue, Lance mentions Carl Durrell. And Rick went, whoa, I did not even thought of him. That's a great idea. So they call him up, and many people didn't realize this. They call him up in Miami and said, would you be interested? Well, of course he was interested. And they said, well, you know, when could you fly out to Boulder or do you want us to come and meet with you in Miami? And Carl said, well, I'm getting on a plane in a few hours to fly to Boulder right now because I just built a home, a retirement home just outside of Boulder. And so, you know, <laughs> on top of having all the attributes we talked about, he's a guy that loves Boulder, Colorado so much that he wanted to retire here. He's in his late fifties. So he's not right at retirement age at this point, but he's got an affinity for the campus, the program, the institution, uh, the area, and all those things. So there's a natural, innate DNA-level love for this program to go along with the attributes we talked about. And I, I think that's the best you can hope for is a guy's going to come in and give you everything he's got and be loyal to that program. And, and Carl Durrell's got all those attributes. Right. And I, I thought he did a great job. So it's always hard, especially, you know, you mentioned in February, the change. Well, that's real tough because that's National Signing Day, Tom. And I felt like he did a good job putting final touches on the class. It was 64th in the country. And even looking ahead to next year, it's already a top 30, 35-ish class next year. And a lot of the success from this past class came out of the transfer portal. We mentioned that they had like, I believe it was seven transfers out of the transfer portal from high level universities, power five programs. What were the biggest positional needs for this program? And how was Darrell really able to salvage this recruiting class through such a, a such a big change as a, as a head coaching search? Well, I, I think that, you know, the, the first part of that to come in and do what he did to salvage that class, because it's, is it happened? And, and you know the way this whole deal works. I guarantee you. There were coaches at competing schools that were saying to every kid that had committed to Colorado, you don't know what this guy's all about. He didn't recruit you. Uh, why do you want to go there? There's too much uncertainty, and I don't know a lot. So for him to come in, he and his staff then, to be able to go out and do that kind of sales job, and, and by the way, do so without being able to get on a plane and fly to whoever said kid to sit down in front of he and his parents and talk to him about it, but do it over what we're doing right now. Do these yeah. conversations, I think, speaks a great deal of kind of the integrity he's got. So uh, I, and that's number one. Number two is what he's done with recruiting. And, and again, still at this point, not being able to do it in person, but selling this program, I think, it's real interesting and real special. You mentioned, you know, the transfers out there. Um, you know, one thing it, you don't always have to go – they don't always have to be four- and five-star guys, but you know your odds are going to be better if you get a four- and five-star guy, right? And so the transfers have all been from a high program. They've been Big 12, uh, you know, SEC, Big 10-type schools or programs they've gone on, and they also were guys who were pretty highly regarded coming out of high school. So he's done that. Uh, he hasn't had any fear about going head-to-head with anybody based on any kid in America. So when it comes to recruiting the high school kids – 
He's gone out and said, you know, well, why not, why not the Colorado Buffaloes? I mean, it's, it's uh, frequently listed as the number one college town in America, Boulder, Colorado. It's got a phenomenal stadium. It's got great history. It's got a national championship. It's got a Heisman Trophy winner. It's got all this stuff. So why not? It's been a bad period, obviously. I've been here. I'll be entering my 18th year now. And so I got here in 2004. And you're thinking about this phenomenal program that, you know, won a national championship uh, in 1990, nearly played for one in 2000 along with Gary Barnett. And then it kind of fell off the cliff when Gary was let go. And we've had kind of a dry period. Mike McIntyre had a blip on that. Carl Durrell showed more life last year. So you're thinking, this is a great program that can be resurrected. And so I think he's been selling all of that to the recruits out there. That's why there's been success so far. And let's just hope it continues. Right. And I mean, I want to shift to 2021, some on the field stuff. I mean, we saw Jared Broussard was kind of the breakout player for this program last year. What players are on your radar right now that, you know, myself and or, you know, college football fans might not know yet that you think could shine and have their breakout year this next season? Well, I want to mention the wide receivers. Uh, Levante Chenault is, is certainly a guy because, you know, he's got what LaVisca had. Right. Um, I'll never forget. I mentioned Gary Barnett. He and I were standing in the practice field when Levante got to campus here a couple of years ago. And uh, number five goes running by us. And, and Gary looks at me. Yeah, yeah, Gary's the football mind. I'm the numbers guy. Right. And you know, when we're standing out there in the practice field. And so he looks at me, and goes, who's number five? And I said, that's LaVisca's little brother. And he says, boy, genetics are an amazing thing, aren't they? OK, so- <laughs> Might not be as thick as LaVisca is, but he's still got a lot of those qualities. Watch for him. Watch Brendan Rice. We saw some things last year from Brendan Rice uh, in flashes as a first-year player that indicate he can be a special, special guy on the football field. And I think he's, and you watch for him. I think another guy that uh, you need to keep an eye on is Daniel Arias. I, I really thought it was going to happen for him last year as a wide receiver. Big body, 6'3", 6'4" you know, broad shoulder, narrow to hip kind of guy, great speed, got good hands, all those sorts of things. Then an injury bug kind of big him. So I think that's another another guy. And then I mentioned Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez, you know, when you think of this Colorado programs act here in recent years, and you think about, you know, Jimmy Smith and Akella Witherspoon and Chido Awuzie and Isaiah Oliver and some of the great corners who have come out of this program here in recent years, I think he may be the next guy. And he's got all the attributes you're looking for. He's long, 6'2"-ish, right in that ballpark, length, great uh, makeup speed. Uh, he showed last year, and the coaches in the Pac-12 in his first year in college football, listen, we all know what they're going to do. They're going to test the young fellow, right? And was he perfect? Absolutely not. He made some mistakes. But he also had some moments where your eyes kind of wide. You thought, holy cow, this guy's got a chance. Well, there's going to be great learning that comes from this. And go back to what we just talked about with Brendan Lewis. Year number two, then you carry yourself a little bit different. You say, okay, I understand what this game's all about. So I think he's a guy to keep an eye on in 2021 because I think he could become the next guy in that line of great corners that comes out of this program. Right. I mean, looking ahead to the schedule, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've, we've had, you know, we've done ACC, Big 12, Big 10, everything. The This team might have one of the most difficult schedules that I've covered, you know, doing these interviews to get a non-conference game against Texas A&M, probably a top six team in the preseason polls, most likely. You also get Minnesota, who just two years ago came off of playoff run. They they made a good run at it. Oh, that's all in the first three weeks. And then you got to go to Arizona State. You have Oregon. Utah's never an easy game. 
this this schedule's brutal, man. And so what is the ceiling and or floor for you for this 2021 team, given this schedule? You know, one of the things I loved about Colorado when I got here, and, and it, it softened during kind of that down period I talked about, they softened it a little bit. But one of the great things about this program is historically and traditionally, they have gone out and played anybody anywhere. All right. They, they, they love to stack that non-conference slate. You know, we kind of chuckle in college football all the time about the, you know, the schools you, you play three times against the sisters of the poor and you jump into, you know, our five uh, schedule. That's Colorado has done it traditionally. So when you look at this year, even the first game, yes, it's Northern Colorado. But it's a one double A team, but you know, it's, it's Ed McCaffrey, the Broncos great, uh, who's a legend here in this state in his first year. Cause he didn't get the coach last year. Uh, you know, he's got a son who transferred back. And so there's all sorts of things about it that just make it kind of unique. And so, you know, Buffs certainly should win that game. We understand that. But there are some unique aspects to it. Like you mentioned, you take on Texas A&M, certainly whatever they're going to be, it's going to be a top 10 team. We know that uh, come preseason. You play them in Denver. And uh, I, I joke here in the state of Colorado about uh, Aggies fans, man. They, it's, it's like weeds here in the state of Colorado. They are everywhere. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of maroon going on in that building at Mile High Stadium where they play. And then, as you mentioned, then Arizona State and USC, and then you get into the gauntlet that is the Pac-12 schedule. So I love the fact that it's a, a challenging schedule. So I, I like that. Uh, is that fair to Carl Durrell in year number two? Nah, I don't know, but I, I guarantee you this, Carl's not going to shirk from any of them. So I think they're going to be tested. We're going to find out real quick in those first five games what this team is all about. We'll, we'll get a sense of uh, are those skill guys as good as I was talking about? Is that offensive line what we hope it's going to be? Uh, is that defensive front what we thought they or think they can be with all the depth they've got there? And, and so there are a lot of things about that that really make it challenging. You know, in terms of the ceiling and floor, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I try to be optimistic all the time. You know, we we uh, the great buff, uh, Alfred Williams, who's a talk show host here in town, uh, I always get a kick out of it. Every year when, when uh, I hear him on the air, they do the pregame show, the preview shows about the Broncos. The Buffs are always going to go uh, 12-0, and the Broncos are always going to go 16 or 17 and now. And so I always try to be optimistic like that. Is it realistic? No, probably not. But I, I certainly think this team should be a bowl game in 2000, or bowl team, rather, in 2021 as Carl continues to build this thing. But, yeah, you're right. There's going to be some challenges on that slate in the upcoming season. Right. I mean, you, you've been doing this for a long time. You mentioned you're entering your 18th year as the voice of the Buffs. You've been around, you know, all these different conferences, the Pac-12, I mean, the, the Big 12, everything like that. Why is the perception, so for you, the perception of the Pac-12 is it's not competitive. There's not this parity that you see in other conferences. But we just talked about the schedule. USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Arizona State, Colorado. There's so many good teams in the Pac-12. Why do you think the Pac-12 gets overlooked in terms of its competitiveness and parity within the league? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, number one, we always hear the, the, the phrase thrown around out here in the West all the time, and that is East Coast bias, all right? Well, uh, your listeners may not know, but I, I, was, I was at Syracuse prior to coming here, so I was part of the East Coast media at one point in time. And something to it. Now, is it a deliberate bias? No, but there's something to the idea that everybody out East doesn't get a chance to watch a game that's, that's kicking off at you know 8.15 Pacific time, right? Because by that point in time, You've covered and watched and paid attention to five college football games, and you're having a cold beer before you go to bed that night, right? And so there's a lot of just not knowing what's happening out here. I think that plays into it. Uh, the other thing is the Pac-12 in recent years hasn't deserved to get a lot of respect 
amongst the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, how many, how few teams, think about it, have been involved in the playoffs from the Pac-12? Uh, how few teams have won a national championship? How few teams have finished in the top five? And those kind of things, the bowl record has not been great in recent years. Uh, it was okay this past season, but prior to that, there hadn't been a great success at all here in recent years in, in the bowl records for Pac-12 teams. So I think all of that plays into it. You're going to get as much respect as you deserve. Now, you've got great story programs. You mentioned USC has had phenomenal. They're one of the blue bloods in college football. Colorado's in a unique situation with a national champion and a Heisman Trophy winner. So they, they've been at the top of college football. What Oregon has done, Stanford has been very good at different times. You can go on down the line. So there are teams that have history of greatness and history of playing at the top levels of college football. But they haven't done it recently. And, you know, we live in that what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. And so the Pac-12 is going to have to earn that. We saw what the league did in basketball in the NCAA tournament this past year. You earned respect by going and being successful in the postseason. Now this league is a football league. It's got to do the same thing moving forward. And I'm just hopeful the Buffs will be part of that. Right. Yeah, I always like asking people, asking that question to people because, I mean, I'm an Auburn alum, so I have that, I have a little bit of SEC bias, but since we did, since we started the podcast and we've kind of, I got to watch games all across the country, I'm up watching the 1230 p, 12.30 a.m. game between Washington State and someone, so, I mean, I, I try to, on this podcast, express the parody that's around all over the country. So I always like getting that perspective for someone. But the last two questions here are about Colorado itself and your career. So the one question I have is I, I recently moved out to Kansas State to be a graduate student. And so it's on my list to get out to Boulder, get out to see Colorado play. But for our listeners who might not have been out there yet, what makes Boulder, Folsom Field, such a unique environment and campus on game days? Well, I think the first thing is, and, and you know, I, I over the course of 18 years, this has just kind of become something I say every game. I, I open up the broadcast and say, we're out here from Folsom Field, the most majestic setting in all of college football. And the one thing Boulder has that virtually nobody else has is the Rocky Mountains and the Flatirons. And if, if you don't know what the Flatirons are, Look up a picture of Folsom Field, and you're going to see, I mean, literally behind the stadium are these jutting, enormous uh, rocks, these rock outcroppings where the mountains just kind of shoot out of the ground. It's a beautiful setting. The way they constructed the stadium with the red stone that we have here in Colorado makes it just totally unique. I mean, it's unlike any other stadium. And I've over the years, as long as I've been doing this, both doing a, you know, local, regional, and national games, I've been to most of the great settings in college football, and this one is as unique as any. There, There is a rabid following. Now, that's been tested like a lot of programs that have a downstretch. That gets tested a little bit, but when this thing is rocking, and it's not the biggest stadium in the world either. I mean, it holds 50,000 people, but when 50,000 are in there and the buffs are rocking and rolling like they were in 2016 when they won the Pac-12 South, the atmosphere is unbelievable. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, when you kick things off in the first half and the second half and you get a 2,000-pound buffalo run around the field, man, that, that makes it unique as well. So there certainly are some unique things about the history, the architecture, the, the natural God-given architecture that surrounds that city that just make it a unique place. And it is, one of I think, one of the more unique cities you're ever going to be in. Boulder's got some uniqueness to it now when you, when you walk around, you know, the city and the campus. And just some things that really make it special on game day. And, and like I said, when, when the buffs are rolling like they were through the late 80s, through the 90s, up until about 2001, 
there are some phenomenal areas around college football. I'll say I'm as great as this in terms of atmosphere and, and kind of what surrounds it, but it doesn't take a backseat to anybody when it's really rolling. So it is kind of a unique place. Right. I'm excited to come out there and experience the game. But just to follow up there, you mentioned, uh, I believe it's Ralphie the Buffalo. Is that the best live animal mascot in the country? I'm a little bit biased as an Auburn fan. I, I, I think our eagle is up there. But do you think Ralphie is the best live mascot um, in the country? Well, I'd be hard-pressed to come up with anything. <laughs> and I'll say this, it, uh, no uh, lesser expert than Mike Leach when asked about this here when he was in the Pac-12 made the comment, boy, it's hard to beat, you know, an 18, 2,000-pound buffalo running around the field. Listen, there's some great ones. I've done games at, at Auburn before. I, I've, I've seen the Eagle, and that's awful cool. And, you know, I've been down to Texas where Bevo is out there, and, you know, we like to have fun with our friends up north of Colorado State. They've got Cam the Ram, and there certainly are some great mascots without question. But I'll say this. When, when I sit up in my perch up there, right around the 45-yard line above the uh, the west side of the stadium, and when that place is rocking and you've got a full, uh, you know, uh, visitor section down below me, when, when, when that buffalo makes that turn and comes back to that northwest corner to jump in the trailer right in front of the visiting fans – well, you, you, you see a lot of cameras out uh, taking photos of that. It is a cool deal and, one I think, one of the greater uh, traditions in college football. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> I can't say there's any mascot that's any better than Ralphie. That's, you know, that's pretty cool. And, by the way, just so your listeners know, Ralphie is a female buffalo, okay? They really can't have a male buffalo because they're bigger and stronger, a little bit meaner. And so she is a female buffalo. But, yeah, it's pretty cool when Ralphie does her thing. Yeah, I, it is. I, I I believe my co-host, who's off taking a break right now, said that Ralphie was his was his favorite mascot in the country, and he's even an LSU fan. So he put Ralphie above the Tiger over there at LSU. But last question here, man, you've been doing this since '04, calling Colorado football games. For you, what is your most memorable call or most meaningful call that you've had in your career while calling Colorado football? Well, that's it. You know, I, I just uh, I was on a podcast here a few weeks ago uh, that was kind of a focus, and they asked me about the greatest moment I called in my career. Well, I, I was the voice of the Syracuse Orange for the 2003 National Championship, and so I always go back, to obviously, to that one here. But when you get down to Colorado, probably the, the basketball 2012 first Pac-12 win for the postseason tournament, Colorado won that in Los Angeles. That's probably the greatest moment overall at, at CU. When it comes to football, you know, there was a game uh, that was really an amazing game, and it, it came during a bad period for the Buffs. It was the Dan Hawkins era. But Colorado came back from, boy, I'm going to test my memory here, was a 2006 or seven Number three Oklahoma comes into Folsom Field, and, and the spread in the game was, you know, some 21-point spread or some ridiculous number. And the Buffs came for like three touchdowns down and won it on a Kevin Everhart field goal. I remember it was to the, uh, the north end of the stadium in the waning seconds. And, and just to be what we love about college football, pro sports are great. And I've done a lot of pro sports. We love it. And, you know, the athleticism is, is beyond compare at that level. But the emotion, the atmosphere, the pageantry of college football, when you get something like that and an underdog wins a game like that and to beat one of the top three teams in America, and the Sooners were rolling that season, by the way. To come back and win that in, in front of a packed house, that was probably one of the cooler moments. And, and then, you know, being a, the, the voice of the buffs, here, anytime you beat the Nebraska Cornhuskers, that's always got to be a great one. And so I think the last couple of years here, you go back to that year when Mel Tucker was here, 
And you've got Scott Frost's first game that he coaches uh, as the head coach of the Huskers in Lincoln, Nebraska. Stephen Montez to LaVisca Chanel, long touchdown late in the game, and the bus win in Lincoln. Uh, now that I think about it, I better mention that as my favorite uh, call here during my 17 seasons as a bus announcer. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually do remember that game. Um, uh, it, it, it's just so cool, I mean, to, to be in those moments. I know the 0-3 run with Syracuse had to be awesome. That that was one of the greatest runs to a championship in college basketball history. But, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, talking your career, talking all things more out of football. But where can our listeners find you? Social media, radio shows, the calls for the Colorado games. Where can they find your work? Well, uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at MJ Buffs Voice. You can follow me there uh, for anything that uh, goes on with the Buffaloes, obviously. And then I've got a lot of other interests. I, I like to dabble in there as well. Uh, it, just go to cubuffs.com. I mean, that, you know, once football gets underway, as a director of broadcasting at CU, all the videos and interviews and shows and all whatever things we do, all listed there. And most of the time, there's a link to take part in. And, listen to a game broadcast or a show, whatever it might be. So that's where you can follow me. But at, at MJ Bus Voice on Twitter is a good good place to start. And, uh, anything that you might be looking for, at least if it's not going to be there, at least direct you to where you can find it uh, once the season gets underway. Absolutely. So, guys, make sure to go check out all things Mark does. Colorado is going to be a team y'all are going to want to follow this year. I promise you, you won't regret staying up to watch some Pac-12 after dark football if you're on the East Coast. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. But, guys, We'll definitely be reaching back out to Mark as the season gets closer. Y'all know where to find us, though, YouTube, any and all podcast streaming platforms. But for right now, man, for Mark, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out. <laughs>